Power Hour, because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm Alex Epstein. Very exciting episode today. It is the launch day of my favorite thing I've ever done, Fossil Future, Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. And to celebrate launch day, I have one of my favorite guests ever. Um, full disclosure, he came on yesterday, which was Monday the 23rd. It's Michael Schellenberger, author of Apocalypse Never, good friend of this show, guy who helped me uh, preempt the Washington Post by mentioning that whole saga on Joe Rogan and running for governor of California. So uh, he uh, was gracious, gracious enough to come on and we talked a lot about the energy landscape, about fossil future, and of course about his candidacy, which I am a big supporter of. So before we get into it, just two links to know. Uh, one is you're gonna hopefully be convinced that he's a good guy to support, but just so you know now, uh, schellenbergerforgovernor.com to support his campaign. And then uh, make sure to not only order your copy of Fossil Future this week, help it get on the big bestseller list, hopefully the New York Times bestseller list. If they don't totally screw me, at least make it so that they have to screw me for me not to be on it, and then I can make a big stink. But yeah, we want this to be a big blockbuster. There's, there's such an opportunity right now to re-educate the world about energy. But when you order it, make sure to take advantage of some amazing pre-order bonuses we have. I've talked about them in the past, so I won't go too long into them, but we've got exclusive conversations with Peter Thiel and Palmer Lucky. We've got the Alex notes of the book. We've got this live event, How to Talk to Anyone About Climate Change. We've got a six-month premium subscription to my Substack Energy Talking Points newsletter. So you just got, I've broke the bank on this. Take advantage. All you need to do is buy the book and then email your receipt to fossilfuture at alexepstein.com, fossilfuture at alexepstein.com. And that is available until the end of Saturday. I think I originally had it as a pre-order thing due by the end of today, the 24th, but I got started really late on actually making people aware of this. So the best thing to do is just make it by the end of Saturday because that's the end of the initial week of launch anyway. And the goal is to have as many people get the book launch week as possible. So again, buy this book in any format. So it can be Kindle, Audible, or hardcover, or you can buy it in multiple formats, then crucially send the receipt to fossilfuture at alexepstein.com. All right, now get ready for an awesome interview with Michael Schellenberger. Uh, joining me now, very happy to have him here during my uh, book launch celebration, one of my favorite all-time guests and really favorite people in the world, uh, future governor of California, I hope, Michael Schellenberger. Michael, welcome back. Good to be with you, Alex, and congratulations on your book launch. I'm very happy for you. Thank you very much. Uh, it was good to see you about, a, I guess, a month ago. We saw each other in person, and that was, that was really fun. And okay, so let's, let's talk about how we can get you elected governor. Oh, well, that's great. We have two, it seems like you have two goals. Get me elected governor and then to make your book into a bestseller. Yes. Well, all I need to do there is uh, just get you on the show and, you know, you're, you're such a celebrity that it'll just draw Please. attention. So we've accomplished that part of it. We so need to get you canceled. We need more cancellation efforts. <laughs> Let a thousand cancellation efforts bloom, I think is what we want to do. Yeah, it's, they're so weird. These, these cancel, especially after the last one that people think this is a good idea. Just, just one quick comment is 
I, even I am surprised, maybe you're not surprised, but I am surprised by how many climate journalists just make these crazy comments with no evidence. They kept, they kept saying, I gave no evidence that the Washington Post story was bad when I like gave an hour of evidence. And now somebody is saying there's this, I guess he's a professor and he keeps, he keeps saying like, oh, read this detailed, look at this detailed refutation of Alex's book. And yeah. it's literally a five minute video with a 15 distorted seconds of an interview I did on a Bitcoin podcast by someone who hasn't read the book, just yeah. riffing. And this guy, he can't even bother to look at a YouTube video to know it's not a review. Like there's no journalism. They, they feel right. no need. It's, it's really shocking to me. And, and yeah. I didn't think I was capable of being shocked. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're, I mean, this is, I think we're, I've been thinking about this more. I still find people that still think that at some point we're going to go back to how journalism used to be or we, how we used to imagine it being. But, you know, both Martin Gurry, he wrote a book called Revolt of the Public, and then Badya Ungar Sargon wrote a book called Bad News. And they both argue that this period of sort of objective journalism was just a kind of moment in time from like post-war era to, you know, 2016. Mm -hmm. I mean, really it starts to end before that. And now really we're reverting back to what we, we used to call yellow journalism, but which is basically all journalism as politics. So if you kind of go, what is politics? Politics is the process of making um, friends and enemies. That journal, that's all journalism is. I mean, I read an NPR story today and it was just like, there was no objectivity to it all at all. You know, I mean, NPR is it NPR, New York Times, Washington Post are clearly advocacy newspapers at this point so mm -hmm. i think that that's sort of the way it's evolved you know i mean you would hope that twitter and social media would retain their role as a town square where there can be free thought that is increasingly under threat but no you're absolutely right the strategy they'll use with your book they do the same thing with me is they'll be like oh no, no that book's been debunked and then they'll point <laughs> to something and then you'll look at it and you'll go but they didn't even try to debunk it yeah, but yeah. but it's just a way to get people to not take it seriously and anyway you, you know how to handle this you Did, got didn't they have didn't uh, so kuhn and they did this with scientific american they had this really bizarre piece that yeah. i think two of the three attacks were based on a washington post column about his book not by yes him. And this is yes. in Scientific American, this, and then they didn't let him publish a response. But I remember, didn't they go after? Didn't Scientific American go after you as well, or was it, it, was, some, it was some um, other prominent publication? I forget. Yeah, the way that they did it with me was they did Climate Feedback, which is this propaganda website, um, <laughs> and then also Yale, a Yale blog. Oh, the E three sixty one. E three sixty. Well, it's no, it was Yale climate communication oh, oh connection yeah it's one of those i know you're climate connections and and so they all just kind of go that's the one and that that dismisses it but you know i mean you know it's a big e e media ecosystem now so people obviously will will see it and you know don't let the haters get to you oh no no no, no, no. it's just interesting i mean i feel like they actually are doing me a favor yeah in terms of in because you know a lot of my point in fossil futures i talk a lot about our knowledge system and how the system that's supposed to give us expert research and synthesize it and disseminate it to us and help us evaluate it is is a failure and part of it it doesn't give us anything remotely accurate with climate and and a lot of the people involved are not ethical and actually don't care about humans and that's kind of hard to show 
but these guys can clearly just distort a cut and dried story, like pretending that me responding to false racism accusations for an hour is a baseless accusation against a journalist, or that they can, you can have dozens of members of the climate community just pile in on this attack with no evidence, no basis, no apology. So it really yeah. shows the ethical nature as well. So I feel like they're doing me a favor because the climate stuff is complicated, whereas this stuff is just obvious that they're being non-objective and unethical. So yeah. as long as you know how to fight it. And, and you know, whenever they go after you or uh, Bjorn is in this category too, I'm just thinking like, what are these guys thinking? Because we re work really hard to prepare our stuff. Like I wouldn't want to go up against you particularly or Bjorn Lomborg. I mean, I would yeah. if it came down to it, but I wouldn't think it would be easy. I wouldn't think I can just put out some smear and yeah. lay back and watch everyone approve. Yeah. I think, oh, I'm going to get a hell of a response and I better be ready for this. Yeah. Well, I hope your book gets a lot of attention. It's obviously coming at the moment of the worst energy crisis in 50 years. I've been saying that since the fall. And now it appears to that other people now recognize that that's what this is. It also struck me that, you know, when I wrote a piece about the Ukraine invasion a couple of weeks, just like two or three weeks after the Russians invaded, I, I argued that, you know, this shows that you have to have reliable power to, to you know, to, to be energy secure and that energy security is very clearly tied to national security. That appears now to be a pretty mainstream argument. I see it even in the New York Times. So it does seem like your book is arriving at a moment where people understand more acutely, even if they aren't fully willing to acknowledge it, that obviously you can't power the world on unreliables unreliable renewables. So it seems like it should get some more attention and um, a greater hearing, but who knows? People are still so dogmatic. I, I, I think I think for sure. I mean, I'm very excited about this moment. I mean, I've been excited in the last few years watching, you know, your book succeed and you succeed and Bjorn and, and Steve Koonin, in part because I like you guys, but also because it shows that this big picture humanistic approach to energy and climate has real appeal. And I think yeah. now we've got another factor in our favor, which is an energy crisis that's causing people to rethink their assumptions. And in this case, it's pretty clear the anti-fossil fuel movement has a lot to do with it because they said, don't invest in fossil fuels, don't produce them, don't transport them. And now suddenly they're super expensive and we want them and we're begging uh, dictators for them. And then in my case, and I think others, I have a very public track record of saying, if you do this, it's going to lead. So I just published something today for my Senate testimony in 2016, where I said, hey, the price of energy determines the price of everything. If Europe and America keep doing what they're doing, prices are going to skyrocket and food prices are going to skyrocket. And I just published this. And Barbara Boxer's Great. response was, I don't appreciate being lectured by a philosopher. That was her response to me. And I said, well, you need somebody to integrate the big picture data. So I'm, I'm, very, I'm very big on taking credit for being right. Oh, yeah. Giving the other side blame for being wrong, because if they're, they're not going to accept blame for being wrong, but they need to get blamed because part of a functioning system is, is the people who are wrong need to be discredited and either apologize and correct or be or be jettisoned. And they're not going to do it themselves. So we need to do it for them. Right. Well, I also think, you know, actions speak louder than words. And so we, you would go. So if, if we thought that renewables were uh, what people say they are, then why are we um, taking extraordinary measures to import oil from Venezuela rather than to import solar panels from China? 
You know, in fact, as far as I can tell, I haven't tracked it super closely, but the Biden administration appears to be following through on tracking whether or not the solar panels are being diverted from China into Malaysia and Southeast Asia um, and being hidden, basically, uh, you know, um, to escape the restrictions. But if it were, if our lives depended on it, we would just be trying to get as many solar panels from China as possible, but instead we're trying to get oil from Venezuela. So it's like, what else do you need to know? Um, I do think that this is also, because I think that like the love of renewables is in a kind of, um, is a spiritual quest, as you know, you know, that's sort of the punchline of Apocalypse Never. And so it's not like, um, so people kind of go, they kind of snapped out of it a little bit. You know, there's a kind of return to earth. Mm-hmm. There's like, oh yeah, yeah, right, right. Like we need, we need actual energy right now, you know? And I think the other interesting thing is of course, like the climate legislation that was supposed to be happening appears to be dead. I don't know where, I mean, maybe there's some possibility. We keep hearing that Manchin, you know, is trying to do something, but you're also yeah. kind of like, is Manchin like Lucy with the football, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this time, this don't time do, I'm going to hold the away. football. That's true. Don't, don't you know? character. They're, they're going to use that they're going to use it. By the way, the other thing I totally agree about the renewables slash unreliables. The, the other thing I think of is, so there's this realization that, yeah, we need reliable energy or real energy. The other element, which you've helped bring attention to is I think the halo is off of them because it is, there is this religious element and they yeah. have this halo of, oh, they're perfectly clean and green and sustainable. Okay. And so you've been pointing out, okay, well, what about the waste of them? What about dealing right. with that? And what about by the way, slavery, do we not care about people actually being slaves yep. in China? And then obviously being produced mostly using coal and all of these things and dumping. Right. Pr- and so now, now they're in the category of, oh, this is another attempt to produce energy. Let's look at the pros and cons of it versus here's this godlike superior gift from Gaia. And let's right. let's just use that and everything will be wonderful. And what, once you That's start right. weighing costs and benefits of alternatives, whether with energy or you know thinking about climate as well, you, it's a totally different game. And then people have to think about it in a rational way versus a religious way. That's right. I also see it as so, okay, I mean, so the other interesting thing, of course, is going on is that, so lithium prices have, I think they've like, they've increased sevenfold almost or something, right? So we now yeah, know that Tesla's, in trouble or EVs are, they're kind of, we're getting some trouble with supply chain issues. We now know, we've known that rare earths are disproportionately in China. We've had some rare earth problems. So that's going on at the same time that Elon Musk is out there trashing ESG Uh for not including him, but including some of the oil majors. I mean, I have to say, it seems like great confusion prevails, Um, you know, and it's like, there's just like a lot of mystification about this but i do think that the evs are are taking a big hit right now with everything that's going on i don't know how you see it but i find it i on the one hand you're kind of like because i've been, of course been a critic of elon musk in apocalypse never the claims that he made about solar panels were not accurate and i've been critical of that on the other hand i'm delighted with him pushing back against the kind of radical wokeism and the censorship on twitter and now he's pushing back against ESG. I'm curious your view of what Elon has been doing and saying. Yeah, I have an interesting relationship with Elon. I think you might know he blocked me years ago because I wrote a Forbes piece called the Tesla Model S is a really good fossil fuel car. Uh, uh, I, I had no it. idea that he blocked yeah. you. That's so oh, yeah, yeah, long, uh, a long time. We know quite a few people uh, in, common. In, in common. 
Yeah, I mean, sort of one one interesting view on Elon that I've I've heard, which is which is compelling, is he's a very good like gauge of where the culture is because he's mm-hmm. kind of he he's very into being cool and he is cool in many many ways. Yeah. And so I think part of him being in this direction is that he's he senses even the thing he said about oh I'm not voting for Democrats. Like he's sensing oh right now even being like a center right Democrat is kind of problematic. Yeah. And uh, this is the cool thing. And ESG is not cool. So right, and even the oil, remember the oil thing he said, this is a guy who's been, who's been a villain, in my view, in terms of restricting oil investment, production, transportation, been promoting climate catastrophism. But you look at him recently, and he'll say, no, we need to increase uh, oil production. And he, I don't know if yeah. you've seen this, but he's also been saying in a recent TED interview, saying, look, the world's not going to end. It's not going to be that bad. We're going to be fine. Things are going to be better by 2050. And he's just, oh, we just have to kind of slowly move, which is a far cry from when wow. he was promoting. Wow, I had seen that. That was in his interview with Chris, the the TED guy. Yeah, there, there were two recent TED interviews, and I believe it was the second one. But I, I wow. it was pretty much literally what I said. You know, versus if you look at say, the, he never admits that his view changes, but look at the Powerwall introduction, and and it's just Great. fossil fuels suck. They ruin the world. It's just a fiery, like, yeah. inferno of an earth telling us, oh, we need to get these batteries quickly. Otherwise, uh, right. otherwise everything is going to go to uh, to a literal like earthly hell. So yeah. it's great, though, that he's kind of moving because I think it shows where the culture is. And of course, he himself has influence. So I think he then pushes it right that way. And of course, he was great on nuclear. <clears throat> I think he went to Germany and told the Germans they needed to do more nuclear. After not being pro-nuclear for forever, though, and, yeah. and being yeah. like a solar fanatic, which that, that was always the thing that bothered me that he just, oh, same here. he would never talk about, we've got this, in, particularly as a pro-technology person, and, and in particular, yeah. he would put forward this ridiculous ideal of sustainable, that is, we only want to do things as quickly as possible, we want to get into a way of life where we're repeating the same thing over and over, which is really right. what renewable or like, right. that's not what you stand for. You stand for progress. You stand for right. terraforming Mars. That right. means always using the best thing and then seeking the next best thing, which is why like, I love fossil fuels now. I wish we had more nuclear now if we hadn't criminalized it in the 70s, but I want more nuclear in the future. And I think we're going to have a nuclear future. Like that's progressive energy. That's what he yeah. should stand for, not sustainable, yeah. which- I mean, Egypt yeah. was sustainable for thousands of years. Was that good? Yeah. I lie totally. I love your, I love that. I love your rap on sustainable. I totally agree with it. Um, yeah. I mean, I find myself, uh, we, I find myself weirdly in the mainstream on nuclear, you know, people um, hear about me running for governor. They've never heard of me before. And they'll come onto my Twitter page and they'll be like, yeah, yeah. But do you support nuclear power? Really? Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of like, little, uh, yeah. Little do they know. Little do they know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. You want to save Diablo Canyon, but what about new nuclear? You know, so it's it's uh um things have changed. You know, uh you 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 saw obviously I'm sure you saw you know Gavin Newsom is saying that he's open to keeping Diablo open. Tracks the polling shows there's a plurality of support for keeping Diablo Canyon open. Um, and you, you, and you may know also, you know, we could be 5,000 megawatts short of electricity this summer, you know, going to 10,000 megawatts by 2025. So they're genuinely freaked out. You know, we may have blackouts this summer. Uh, we're, so we're having, you know, simultaneous, I found myself, interestingly enough, in this campaign talking about water, you know, and I didn't, I don't have a chapter in Apocalypse Never about water, but I did find out, you know, because I searched my own book, 
I'm like, oh, I did mention desalination. <laughs> Thank God, you know, it's in there. And I, I, the other interesting thing, um, and you'll find this interesting, is on Twitter, I'll be like, we need abundant. I find myself using that. That's a really, turned out to be a really nice word for people. I said, we need abundant energy, water, and housing. But just on, mm-hmm. and people go, there's like, I mean, every day I say it, somebody, like several people on Twitter go, oh, what are you going to make it rain? As though like I'm peddling like, witchcraft to produce abundant fresh water and so there's the earth is mostly water as joe rogan said yeah of course and so you kind of go well no you know you can store water you can recycle wastewater and you can desalinate and the israelis have the this world-class you know desalination program they've brought the prices down by making it more efficient you know they're just pulling the water through these membranes and then people go oh well that creates these huge salt blooms well, only if you don't capture the salt. I find myself kind of going back to like all these basic elemental things about material production. I mean, whether fertilizer runoff or nuclear waste or anything is that, well, these things are controllable. I mean, like you can, you don't have to like let all the salt go into the ocean. You can capture the salt. And, but I find it, um, I'm struck by the default scarcity mentality among a fair number of voters, of course, more left of center voters than others. You know, farmers in California who tend to be more right of center are just much more familiar with water management, of course, Mm -hmm. obviously, but they're much more like, yeah, why are we not doing desal? And of course, when you look at who has who is the opposite of desalination, all the usual suspects. I mean, you would just right there, Sierra Club, NRDC. So everybody who's against nuclear, everybody who's against natural gas are the same people against desalination plants. So little wonder that we have an energy and water shortage. That's by design. It's what they, they've wanted to create scarcity to reduce the population and keep California for a small little group of petty aristocrats, so to speak. So I love I love the messaging and, and you know the the feeling about just abundance and abundant energy and abundant water and you know with with nuclear that's sort of the ultimate um, enthusiasm right because you've got this incredibly compact material that you have almost unlimited supply of and it could just yes. create so much more abundance of anything even than we've seen so far which is this is of course another reason why I want you to be governor so let's Thank talk you. about how that campaign is going I mean I'll just tell everyone my you know my view so I. Prior to Mike, I don't know if I had ever publicly endorsed a candidate. I forget if I have, but I don't remember it. And the most I ever gave was $1,000. And I think that was to get into a fundraiser where I wanted to talk to some people, honestly. Uh, Whereas Mike, I gave, I endorsed publicly, gave $5,000. I did not get invited to any special uh, fundraisers. Just public discussion. In fact, I went to your event. And That's right. Your That's donors. right. I invited him. We had a great event. That, uh, by the way, if you pre-order Fossil Future um, and you you send your receipt to fossilfuture at alexepstein.com, you can see this event that only about sixty or seventy people went to. It was Peter Thiel was there? We had a really good conversation. Uh, Palmer Lucky. I had a follow-up conversation that I don't think Mike saw, but some the people who've seen it say it was actually the highlight uh, of the event. So anyway, you came to that, and yeah, hopefully you met some people. So I'm yeah, I'm shilling for this guy, campaigning for this guy. Uh, So, and and part of the reason is, is that I think he can win and I'm particularly confident that he can win head to head with Newsom. Like those debates, I think will go very, very badly uh, for Newsom. And there's, Mike has a lot of natural advantages uh, over Newsom, including being a much better person, 
but also he's not a Republican, so he doesn't have some of the liabilities of California voters. The question is, how the hell do we get you to the to that part? So tell us how that is going, what what the challenges are, what the opportunities are, and then and then what people will get if they contribute, or what, yeah. what can likely happen if they contribute. So, I mean, things are going amazing. I mean, we're definitely outperforming what anybody thought on the on the official campaign side. Um, I did CNN on Saturday, Alex. Alex, it had been nine years since I had been invited on CNN. Because we were always like- you, you had some different views back then too, or at least- Well, it was, I was on for nuclear, you know, oh, okay. in 2013. But, but nonetheless, no, I mean, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure some of it is, it's like kind of classic. Some of it is CNN changed and some of it was that I had changed. But nonetheless, uh -huh. I was happy to get on CNN on Saturday. Um, they stuck me at the 6.30 a.m. Pacific slot, so uh, it wasn't not, not as big of an audience as Joe Rogan, as you might imagine, but nonetheless, happy to go on CNN. I'm doing Bill Maher on June 3rd, so, Amazing. you know, things on our side. Yeah, I did Joe Rogan twice, so, you know, in terms of earned media, things are going well. I've, I've been, <clears throat> you know, mistreated by my hometown paper, but getting... Uh, which, good, which one? The Chronicle, the San Francisco oh, the Chronicle. Chronicle, the nefarious Chronicle, Um you know, uh, but been, you know, treated more or less objectively and fairly by other, you know, media times of London did a, a, a great piece, you know, um, other newspapers, LA Times actually uh, treated me fairly. I had a Q&A in the Washington Post that was treated fairly, a different uh, division than the people that went after you. So, you know, it's been going great. Um, you know, we're feeling very optimistic about coming in second on June 7th. That's the objective. Who's, you know, who's going to come in first? Gavin Newsom. Oh, he's in that. He's in that too. Yes. Oh, it's a okay. So yeah, can yeah, you just yeah. explain how this, how the primary system works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been in California for almost twenty years, and I, I don't really understand. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's simple. It's an open primary, so anybody can vote for anybody in the primary. Republicans can vote for Democrats. Democrats can vote for Republicans. Anybody can vote for no party preference, which is what we call independence in California. That's what I am. I'm drawing equal support in the polling we, we did from, uh, you know, Republicans, independents, Democrats. I've been, you know, the issue we, we knew we would win on homelessness. You know, it's the most acute issue in the state, um, though energy is a big issue and it's becoming a bigger issue. And now water scarcity is becoming a big issue. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been going great, man. I mean, you know, it just, uh, it, you know, it helps that the state is a total disaster. I mean, everything seems to be falling apart. It's, we spend more money. I mean, you know, we spend so much money on our taxes. We have these super high taxes and yet we have the worst homeless crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been doing these videos. I've been going out and interviewing homeless people and we go around and it's just, you know, there's just garbage everywhere. I mean, that's part of what strikes you is you're like, we have a hundred billion dollar surplus because we overtax our citizens, but yet we don't have anybody to pick up the trash, you know, and we don't have enough homeless shelters and it's bizarre. You know, it's like you're living on the one hand, you travel around these homeless so-called homeless encampments, which are really open drug scenes. And it just feels like a third world country. You know, even the governor says that on the other hand, we're rich. I mean, you know, you have this huge budget surplus because we overtax everybody. So it's a surreal experience. I think people are frustrated I definitely, because I'm still such a bleeding heart liberal, you know, I always talk about the the humanitarian disaster, the women are being sexually assaulted, people are dying of drug overdoses, but various folks were like, they were like, you need to emphasize that we're all being ripped off, you know, so I've been emphasizing that more too, you know, we pay, you pay all this money in taxes, you should have great services, you know, it should be safe to travel mass transit, 
you know, I'm a pretty brave person. So I go almost anywhere, but my 16 year old daughter, you know, she can't travel on like BART or walk around large parts of San Francisco. So that's been the issue that we've been hammering away on that we feel like we're making a lot of traction on, you know, my opponents don't really have much to say about it, you know, when they interview them. Um, and they're just kind of stuck in the past. So we've gotten a bunch of big endorsements. I mean, I'm sure I'm the only political candidate now and for a long time that will have been endorsed by Alex Epstein, Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, and Tom Wigley, climate scientist, founder of climate science, Carrie Emanuel, climate scientist, um, you know, uh, Richard Rhodes, you know, um, also a strongly liberal person. So we're, you know, and Steve Pinker, you know, so basically, you know, a huge number of, of positive endorsements from both the right and the left. And I think it's, I think that's surprised people. It's interesting to people, you know, my latest thing that I'm obsessed with, I, I sort of say, you know, I'm a liberal in my compassion for the vulnerable. I'm a libertarian in my passion for freedom. And I'm a conservative in my care, my demand for civilization, because without civilization, you can't have either freedom or, or caring. And I think that's resonated with a fair number of people. Um, so anyway, it's been going great, man. And I appreciate your support. And so, okay, so I need what, the support of all your podcast listeners. Yeah. So what can we do to make it greater and where I guess? So it's it, what I've seen from my end is it, it's been amazing to see all this public support. And even a lot of it, I've seen not even just following you. I've just seen it just apart from that, which is much more exciting because obviously I follow you directly. Um, if I had a worry, my worry would be that somehow all this like mainstream national attention doesn't fully translate into California votes because I just imagine we have this unbelievably corrupt machine where, or, or in some ways biased machine where either like the default Republican candidate will, will just get all of these votes or something. So what's kind of what- That's the, the concern. There? That's okay. the concern. Gavin is running ads. So this is the, just the twisted nature of this. Gavin is running ads attacking my main Republican opponent on Republican media. So you may know there's this podcast that Steve Bannon, the former Trump advisor, runs called War Room. Uh-huh. It's a rep big Republican podcast. Uh, Gavin is buying ads on War Room, attacking my Republican opponent in a way to increase his name identification. And so the concern is that if we get is if that if we don't have enough money and we can't counter in terms of the advertising, then we worry that it'll increase uh the vote for Brian Dolly among Republicans, you know, Republicans, you know, to their credit, but to our disadvantage tend to be very loyal to party. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, there's more sophisticated people on the center, right? Like yourself who will be like, I want to vote for, you know, we got to vote for Schellenberg. There's no way in hell a Republican will win in California, but there's just a lot of Republicans that don't bring that level of sophistication into this and are just voting party preference. And so, if they feel like Brian Dolly is the Republican frontrunner, they'll end up voting for Brian Dolly. So that's our concern. And that's why we need everybody listening to your podcast to go to schellenbergerforgovernor.com and make a donation right now. But yeah, that is the concern is that it's just, it's, it's less that it's a national, that we're being too successful nationally, not in California. It's just that we're, that Twitter is among elites. Mm -hmm. uh, social media, Twitter's only 20% of the population. You know, and just, you you know, as you know, you'd be shocked, but it's like a huge percentage of people never go on Twitter and they just listen right. to radio and watch TV. And probably a lot of people on Twitter don't actually vote. 
because they're they're on Twitter all day and it's it takes time to go vote. <laughs> well, we've made it as you know super easy, all mail-in ballots in California. So mm. um, so yeah, we'll see. But the good news is um, the ballots are coming in slowly, and so most people haven't voted, so there's still time, still plenty of time for us to reach people. And, uh, you know, it's election is June 7th and yeah, we just need people to donate so we can, you know, it's a sad state of our politics, but turns out you need a lot of money to be elected governor of the fifth largest economy of the world. <laughs> How, how's you know, your fundraising compared to the others? I mean, very I good. I, Gavin's, but yeah, yeah, it's, um, I think it's good. I think we have about $900,000 that we've raised. I believe my opponents are all around that same level. So we're all, I think we have, I think I have two main opponents that have come in at around the same level, but I've got, you know, 20 times more social media followers than any of them, at least that. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're feeling confident, but we definitely need, we need the additional support. And so that's going to go toward ads mostly? At this point, everything else is paid for every dollar you donate. It's like the opposite of like a normal charity, right? I guess, you know, you said right. the same thing. The staff is all paid for, you know, all of the overhead. So every dollar that comes in goes to enriching Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and you know, so where do you do the ads? It's a lot of Facebook ads, a lot of Google ads, just like you would imagine. I think it's 100% digital at this point. And, mm. you know, but hopefully we'll have enough to do more TV and radio in the last couple of weeks. Is there some dream mark that you want to get to? We felt like if we could get to... In terms of like, what percentage of voters do we need to win? Or oh, I was thinking money, but I'm also interested in that now. That yeah, we were. Our goal was two million dollars. So yeah, we just need, and and that's not that hard to get if you you know it's uh, if people max out at thirty thousand, you only need. Well, how many do you need? I guess you need thirty. Thir <laughs> <laughs> well, to get nine hundred thousand more, yeah. That's yeah. How much you yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, I know. I know. I've. Uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta keep pushing people. But those of you watching, uh, whom I know, who have a lot of money, more than so, if you take my net worth and take what percentage five thousand dollars is of that, you can all afford thirty thousand dollars very, very easily. Alex, there's a shocking number of people that can afford thirty thousand dollars. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, um, and so it's time. To, it's time to now is the time. Us. Yeah, now is the time. It's time sharpest. Um, but um, well, thanks for having me on, man, and good luck with the good luck with the book launch, and and thank you for thumping this before we got two more weeks for people to give and make it happen. And so it's June seventh, is June seventh, that's right? Yep, and right. go to shellenbergerforgovernor.com, energy abundance for human flourishing, and 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 water abundance, and lots of other uh, good yep. stuff. All Absolutely. right, schellenbergerforgovernor.com. Schellenbergerforgovernor.com. All right. Go there and donate now. Give, give a lot of money. Yeah, that's it, brother. Right. Thanks, great Alex. It was great seeing you, man. Good luck with the book launch. I'm rooting for you. Thanks, man. See ya. Thanks again to Michael Schellenberger for coming on the show. It means a lot to me that he would come, uh, given that he's got a lot going on right now. And part of that I take as, well, he's a good friend and a supporter, and he really believes in this message. Uh, but the other thing is, he, I think, is rightly hoping that he'll find some good supporters of his candidacy, his campaign, in this audience. I know we have a lot of successful people in this audience. Uh, I know people tend to be suspicious of candidates uh, in the stage of the primaries. Many people I know who are wealthy and, and contribute will only contribute 
uh, like once the final, uh, once, once there are only two campaigns left. Uh, but in this case, I think it's worth making an exception because he has a real chance. He's going to bring a lot of attention to the right issues. It's a good thing in general for him to be more and more prominent for his good ideas about energy and other things to be more and more prominent. And look, if we have a chance to dislodge the governor of California and replace him with somebody who not only knows a little bit about energy, but is one of the better thinkers in the world about energy, shouldn't we support them? So if you have the financial means to do so, uh, please support him as much as you can. Go to schellenbergerforgovernor.com. All right, that is it for this episode. I have at least one more cool uh, celebratory power hour for launch week of fossil future prepared this week. It is actually a, uh, a mixed martial arts and uh, wrestling superstar that we're going to bring on. Uh, I'm interviewing him tomorrow, and so it'll probably be out on Thursday. I'll leave you in suspense as to who that is. Maybe you can figure it out if you've been following me on social media, but this is somebody who didn't know about me at all, got him a copy of Fossil Future, and now he's pretty obsessed. So it's going to be fun to talk about his journey and what we can learn about that journey and and um, and you know what, what we can learn in terms of how to win hearts and minds, as well as I just have a lot of kind of questions for him about general things since he's a smart and really accomplished guy. All right. So we will be back in the next couple of days. Uh, as usual, or as always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, email me at alex at alexepstein.com. Follow me on Twitter, all that good stuff, energytalkingpoints.com. Sign up for the newsletter. And most importantly, well, let's put it side by side with giving Schellenberger money uh, to become governor of California, buy Fossil Future, and send your receipt to fossilfuture at alexepstein.com. All right, that is it for now. We'll be back soon. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour, the antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.